what your data tells you about what you've done. If you're one of those people who spent like 80% of your time on Instagram in the past year, you go to Google Analytics and maybe you have like 10% of your traffic is coming from Instagram. Well, you're putting 80% of your time into Instagram and you're not getting a very good return. You're listening to the Brand Camp Podcast, a podcast for food content creators who want to level up and build a creative business that's profitable and enjoyable. I'm your host, Jennifer Hulley. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, I am super excited to be chatting with Nikki today. She's an amazing food photographer who has a really interesting way that she approaches her business and all things data. And I thought with all the chatting that we're doing this month about goals and reflection and setting ourselves up to be in an amazing space for the new year, that it was a perfect time to learn from her expertise. And we are super lucky to have her for not just one, but two episodes So she'll be back next week to continue the conversation. So make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast that you don't miss the follow-up episode because you're going to love both of them. And so without further ado, let's dive in. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so happy. I'm great. I am so happy to have you here because I, I just love the way you look at your business from like a strategic standpoint and you get really into all the ins and outs and the things that we can kind of forget to look at or avoid looking at. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. Thank you so much for having me. I, um, I've started talking about data a little bit more on my social media accounts and I think it's been really well received. Um, and I mean, that's what brought me on here today. Right. So I'm really excited to dive into it. Yeah. And that's what I've thought. Like it's a different conversation. We see or hear a lot of the same thoughts and suggestions from like a business standpoint for food content creators and the way you're talking about things is a little bit different. And so I think it's important that people educate themselves about all sides of data, data and what they can do with it. But before we dive into it, do you want to just give us a little rundown of who you are, what you do, how you got into this? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm Nikki Kutchall. I'm a food and beverage photographer in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I've been photographing food for about four years now, um, and I work with brands to create images that really try to capture their story and also connect with their audience on a deeper level. So not just those images that like make you hungry, but like really make you want to come back, um, and keep connecting with a specific brand. Uh, aside from working with clients, I really like to share my knowledge of all of the creative side, the technical side. And also now the business side um, of food photography with other photographers on my uh, Instagram account. And I also have a blog called Clean Plate Studio where I put a lot of that information as well. And I recently took my business full time in September. Amazing. Congrats. Uh, before, thank you. Before that, I was a data analyst for 10 years across a variety of large companies. So I have, I have probably more data knowledge than you would care to hear about or stories that you would care to hear about, but it's definitely, it's definitely there. Yes. I was going to say like, you love data and you do talk about it differently. And I, like for my own history, I, my background was in um, applied behavioral analysis when I was a teacher. So there was a lot of like data collection and interpretation for behavior and behavior change Mm -hmm. in human behavior and whatnot. So that's, my background of it, but it makes sense that you've worked in data for, what did you say, 10 years? 10 years. Yeah. Holy moly. Um, Very long time. (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to ask you, like, how did you get into applying data or using data so heavily with your business? But it probably came from your work experiences in your previous nine to five. Yeah. I, um, I worked across a bunch of different areas in data and about halfway through my career, I landed a job that I was looking at, um, web analytics for a large uh, bank. I was actually working on their like checking account applications and their auto loan applications. I was looking at how people move through them. And out of all the data sources I worked worked with, um, this one was the most interesting because you kind of got to think about like, what are people doing? Um, It's not just like sales data where like we sold this many units and it is what it is. It's like, how are people moving through these different digital ecosystems? So I really niched down into that web analytics um, 
web analytics side of data. And then as I started my business, I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. I can apply all of these skills. You know, I have Google analytics, I have like Instagram insights and all of this stuff. Um, I actually kind of found myself um, falling into some of the traps that other like food content creators might fall into. So like things like driving, um, driving your data are driving towards a certain metric instead of like using data to really tell a story or to figure out what's going on in my business. Um, so a lot of times, you know, um, I think we see this a lot in food blogging specifically. Um, and I actually started as a food blogger before I was a photographer, because that's how I thought you became a food photographer, that you had to have the food blog first. <laughs> um, so I've definitely fallen into this trap. But, you know, with food blogging, we hear well, we have to drive a certain number of sessions to get on an ad network. And it becomes all about driving that that session metric. And um, when you're driving a specific metric, you can kind of lose sight of like the broader purpose of what you want to do in your business. You can lose sight of what might be good for your ideal client or what really resonates with them. Um, you might make decisions that are more uh, like off the cuff and you might go with trends mm -hmm. more because you're trying to trying to drive session or trust sessions right and um, viral trends will in theory drive those higher um, and that's something that I I saw a lot in my corporate job is that you know the people who were making the goals at the top were trying to drive metrics a specific metric without having a really good understanding of one what's going on with that metric at that point in time, what's going on with your data, what's the story behind it? Um, and two, figuring out really, is it something we should be driving? Um, like from the purpose of your business, from that perspective, from a client perspective, like, is this something that is really good for our clients? Or is this something that maybe our clients don't need? So I kind of saw myself falling into those habits. And then I had to snap myself out of it a little bit and say, hey, this is what you're actively like fighting against in your corporate job. This is what you're trying to get people to understand that data is more than just driving a metric. It's really about, you know, what story is behind that particular data set and how you can mm -hmm. use that to figure out what's going on in your business, um, where to take the next steps in your business and, and different things like that. So I started thinking more about how I can apply that to food content creation for you know food photographers um and food bloggers and then i just started talking about it on instagram <laughs> where when everybody starts yeah right? <laughs> yeah exactly and it's funny you mentioned instagram because um so when you're talking about driving a metric or like trying to push a metric and create a metric it reminds me of that trap that people fall in on instagram where they are literally creating content and posting it for likes but yeah. not understanding that likes don't act like it doesn't actually dictate revenue. Right. And I can see how what from what you're saying, it's another almost another version of that same story where if you're not really educated and understanding the purpose and the story behind what you're seeing, that you could probably get distracted very easily by things that aren't necessarily relevant or worth the stress. Right. Right. And and also tying it back to, you know, what are your goals as right. a business? Like my goal in my business is not to just get all the likes. Like that's yeah. what you said. That's not going to get me revenue. It's not going to pay no. my bills. It's not going to No, because there are people with the like tons of followers. <laughs> There's accounts that have tons of followers, tons of likes, but very low revenue. Like the two mm -hmm. are not completely connected. Um, right. And I think that's where people get confused. And people that I have spoken to in the past about their data and their metrics when I'm like even clients, when I start working with them and I ask them what, what their data looks like. And it, they always, not always, I should say, they often give me their Instagram statistics. Mm -hmm. Well, I get like this many likes and that. And I'm like, that's not like, that's a surface thing. It doesn't actually give you the whole story of what's going on with right. your business, with your content and how people are reacting to it. Um, so I guess my question is that like, why would a creative entrepreneur need to care about data beyond Instagram? And why should they even try to climb this mountain of learning this whole other thing. Cause sometimes, not sometimes, often, frequently, probably all the time, human brains, we avoid things that are difficult, right? We avoid things mm -hmm. that aren't the quickest route. And 
anything that's going to ex- cause us to expend expend brain energy. Um, and so a lot of times if we don't understand something, we're just like, mm, not looking at it. Like I'm not right. going to care about it. So why do you believe that creative entrepreneurs really should care about data and put in that effort to educate themselves about it so that they can use it? Yeah, I feel like it's almost like, it's like asking you to wear another hat <laughs> as an entrepreneur, right? Like, you right. Cause I can imagine people being like, exactly. I can imagine people listening to this and being like, oh my God, another thing. Now I got to learn this. I had to learn reels last week. Now I got to like, why should we care about that? I believe that people should, but I'd love to hear your opinion about why it's worth the energy investment that you're going to put into it. Right. So I, I would say, you know, Think about a time in your business when you've um, you felt like you're kind of you're at a black hole, right? We've all been there. We felt like we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea where we're going. We're throwing all of this stuff this out. This is in like the all the time, not once. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was, trying to, I was trying to spin it a little more positively. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, if you were daily reality of entrepreneurship, ago, it would have been like every day is a crime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's entrepreneurship is hard. There's a lot of unknowns and data can help fill in some of those unknowns. Now, it's not a magic wand. It's not going to like automatically give you the secret to business and success, um, but it's going to help you understand what's going on in your business. So it can look like giving you information about what marketing campaigns, what marketing efforts might be working, how clients are finding you. Um, are they booking you through the same channel that maybe they're finding your content? Um, it can tell you which content really is resonating with your audience. Um, resonating more than just like likes. I think of likes at this point as kind of like a vanity metric. Like we talk about it a lot, but it really doesn't mean anything at this point. Um, there's other ways to figure out how people are engaging with your content in a meaningful way. Um, it can also help you figure out, you know, different call to actions on how to convert people. Like we're eventually mm-hmm. trying to convert people off of Instagram onto our website, onto whatever service we might be um, offering or selling. So it can help with all of those those different business questions. And aside from the business questions, um, it can also help you make sure make sure your website is functioning. I don't think a lot of people realize. Um, that you know we're we're viewing content on our mobile devices but we're creating it on our desktop if you're not careful there's going to be a disconnect your user's going to feel it they're going to get pissed off and they're going to leave <laughs> so Absolutely. your data can help you figure out that something is going wrong if you didn't think to check it originally um and then i think the last thing too with why you know, food content creators should really care about learning data and digging into it is that I really think it gives you an edge with clients. Like we like to think that the client's hiring us because we create pretty pictures or delicious recipes, but that client is a company. They have goals. There is, you know, I'm going to say 99.9% of the time, there is a number attached to that goal and they're trying to, um, they're trying to meet it. And they're evaluating your work based off of those goals. So if you can talk to them about what their what their goals are, what type of data they're using, um, what the goal is for their campaign, it just makes you a more effective partner at the end of Absolutely. the day. Absolutely. Um, there was a podcast episode I did previously. I will link it in the show notes because I can't remember exactly what episode number it was, but it was about the four things you need to know before creating your packages. And it talks about knowing your ideal client and being able to talk to their pain points. And Mm -hmm. the idea that saying you need photos for your website is so generic and not effective because that is not actually their goal. Like they know they need pictures for their website. That's like a no shit sort of moment. But if you're arming yourself with this knowledge, like you're saying, and you can understand your data, whatever, that's going to help you. But it's going to also help you be able to articulate the value that you bring to the table and possibly put together a package proposal that's really in depth beyond look, look at the beautiful things that I'm going to present for you. Yes, that's part of it, the art, but you're going to speak their language, like you said. And with a business, if your ICA are businesses, 
it always goes down to dollars. Like they're, mm-hmm. like you said, 99.999% of the time, their annual goal is about sales and a sales benchmark right. that they want to hit. And if you're able, I feel like from what you're saying that it raises a good point that you'll be able to talk to that in a way that other people, I guarantee you, won't be doing. And right. that's a way to stand out from the crowd because there's a lot of people. You know, one thing I see with um, food content creators getting in a trap of like an inquiry comes in and it's, they're just price comparing. They're looking for like the cheapest person to do this for them because yeah, they're just looking for photos. But if you can speak to how it's so much more than a photo and it goes beyond filling that space and it does X, Y, Z, that automatically increases your value and can kind of pull you out of that, you know, lowballing comparison shopping that people do. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think there's layers to that too, right? As, as you build up your business, you know, like just having an understanding of what, what data is out there and what a company might potentially care about is like the base level. And then as you are building up your business and you're getting better at your skills, figuring out how you can um, discuss their goals with them and take those and translate those into a deliverable, right? Like, yeah. One of the things that I always ask my client, like, who's your target audience? What is your goal of the project that we're creating? Because if there is a way for me to infuse your images with little nods to your target audience, um, that's going to be something that grabs their attention on a deeper level than if I were to just be like, okay, well, you want a picture of pasta? Like, great, I'm going to do whatever, you know, it's it just makes it more effective. And if the campaign is more effective, your, your, you know, your partnership with them essentially is going to be more effective at the end of the day. 100%. And I feel like it puts the content creator in a position of authority and power if they can speak to these things. Not saying Definitely. you need to be a data expert, but being able to understand things that are important to these clients or maybe highlight something to them in a conversation that they may not be aware of. Like I'm thinking on the most basic level, asking them what their bounce rate is on their landing page, right? And bounce mm-hmm. rate being people that get there and leave. Right. Uh, and if their bounce rate's really high, it could be, you know, the quality of the image is not compelling or it's not pulling them in to be like, I want to see more. But I feel like even infusing that kind of a question into a discovery call with a potential client would make them see how what you do is so multifaceted and beyond, like you're saying, beyond just the picture of pasta. Right. So right. there's like totally so like agree. so many reasons, right? We're saying like, yes, you need to care, care about data because you need to make your business easier and more successful and easeful. So you're not investing time and energy on stuff that's not working or you are putting your attention in the right space, but it's also going to help your clients. But then I'm thinking too, like your client relationships are going to be better because you'll be able to provide a service that's so, that much more detailed and impactful if right. you have an idea of what's going on with them as well. Right. And you know what? If you're a really good partner for them and they see the return, not only are they going to keep coming back, but you might also get them to share more of the um, results from your campaign than they might have shared with a regular creator. And that gives you more fuel for everybody else in the future. You can say, I did this campaign for this brand. It had this return and you're you're, you're golden. Maybe not golden. Absolutely. But like you're that, on your that's way. <laughs> yeah. That's way beyond a testimonial, like a Google oh, review yeah, that's I'll like, oh, working with Nikki was a breeze. She, her photos are beautiful. Like that's great to have a testimonial like that on your website. But if you can have something that's like, after this campaign with this provider and this content creator, we went from X to Z to whatever. And like numbers like that really speak, especially yeah. if your client is a brand, right? Like a food brand. It might be different. If your client is maybe like a local coffee shop or something, but that's where that coming to know your ideal client is so important. Right. Um, So what kind of like if we were to look at it, because this is sort of an overview that we're getting, we know that it's important for us, for the businesses, but what kind of data is available to us? Like uh, beyond the vanity metrics that you're saying, what kind of data can we easily find and how do we find that? Yeah. So I'm going to give you um, a few different types that will be the most relevant for food content creators. So the first one is web analytics. And this is any data that pertains to any website that you own. So if you're a food blogger, um, you know, it's the traffic that's coming to your website where people are finding you. Um, It can be things like user behavior, engagement, um, 
you mentioned bounce rate earlier, but it can also be the average time on page. It can mm-hmm. be average pages per session. Um, I personally think that those two are more of a stronger indication of whether a user is engaged over bounce rate. Um, sometimes bounce rate, we we think it's bad if it's really high, but when you're thinking about it from like a food blog perspective, they naturally have high bounce rates because somebody's looking for a recipe, they get to your page and they might they might not navigate to another page the first time, but they might spend a long time on that page. So that content is engaging, mm-hmm. but the bounce rate looks like it's it's not. Um, right. Whereas, so- sorry, just to interrupt you. Whereas, like bounce rate potentially for one of your clients, if they had like an e-com shop or something, they want them to be sticking around and perusing. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're if you're it- yeah if you're selling a product and the bounce rate on that product page is super high you need to check out that product page. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's right. something on there that's not resonating with with whoever is coming to that page. Right. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify. So it's like bounce rate may be important, it may not be depending on who, like you're saying, for a food blogger rate, they're looking, people land on their website because they've got a link to the recipe. They're like, cool, I got right. what I need and I leave. But someone who's product-based, they it's like being in a in a shopping mall or at a store, they want you to peruse the aisles. So right, they don't just want you to walk in and walk out. <laughs> like, no, no, stay a while. There's a reason <laughs> why fun. they stick the milk at the back of the grocery store, right? It's yeah, the same that's idea. true. Gets me all the time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So going back to the um, web analytics data, um, it can also give you information on how your site is designed and like the user experience. Um, going back to that mobile versus desktop experience, like is your website easy to navigate? Um, are users searching for content? You can actually see in Google Analytics what people search for. So I've had um, examples back when I had a food blog, I was talking about a topic on Instagram and I looked at my analytics um, the next day and I saw that people were actually searching for that that uh, recipe and it wasn't up on my blog yet. So that's some good data that can tell you like what users are looking for, um, what they might want to see more of, or it could tell you that they can't find the Mm. content that's on there that you've been talking about. Um, So a lot of good stuff with that. And web analytics, when I talk about that is mainly referring to Google analytics. Um, So making sure that you have the Google Analytics tag installed on your website and that it's working properly. And then all of that data is just going to flow into your Google Analytics um, dashboard and be ready, ready for you to use. Um, the next one would be social analytics. And this is basically the insights you get from each social platform, right? So typically you need a business account in order to get them. Um, if we think of like Instagram or Pinterest, I don't have a TikTok, but I'm going to assume that they probably have analytics. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Most of them TikTok do at either, this point. Yeah. Um, you can get things like engagement, you know, likes, comments, shares, calculate your engagement rate. You can also see the awareness, like how many um, impressions your posts are getting, the reach. Um, a lot of them will give audience demographics. So you can get that type of information as well. Um, The next one is email analytics. So if you have an email newsletter, that's just, you know, the analytics that come along with tracking, whether somebody opened the email, clicked through um, from the email to your website, it can also give you some information about like deliverability or bounces or unsubscribes um, and different metrics like that. And then the last one I'll touch on, it's not really a type of data, but I think for this audience, it's very relevant and it's anecdotal evidence. So it's normally based on like personal observation, personal opinion. And this is things like client testimonials. They could be recipe reviews. Um, any social media comments you get or like people dropping into your DMs and saying, hey, I really like what you shared today. Uh, it can give you a really good idea of how your business is performing, but it's not a data source per se, because you can't really, you can't really go and replicate it to test if these things are 
true. And the samples of these, like the amount of times you're getting them, they're normally infrequent and they're pretty small. And since it's based on personal opinion, oftentimes very biased, hopefully in the way that like, hey, we love you and we love what you're doing. Um, But that's really hard to test at the end of the day. So this is one that if you're if your business is on the newer side, this might be all the data that you have to go off of. Um, but still good to collect. Like I, I will take screenshots and I'll keep them in a folder on my desktop um, for just some, you know, just my own personal uh, evidence gathering, or even mm-hmm. like you're having a bad day and you need to pick me up. <laughs> I was just going to say that. You are I, doing good things in yeah. your business. <laughs> it's good for, it provides a holistic view of the story of what's happening with your business behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is like a cheerleader in your back pocket, right? If you're keeping screenshots right. of times that people said like, oh my God, this was super helpful or really meaningful. Like, I'm glad that you posted this today. Um, and typically those happen on social platforms. So I always feel like when no, that kind of feedback comes through on a social platform, it's important because it took the person a lot of effort to do that. Like the, mm-hmm. we were talking about likes initially and how like I don't even really pay attention to likes anymore because I was reading a study about how they're finding the tapping behavior on Instagram is just actually a habitual response that people go scroll, scroll, tap, tap, scroll. And they're not paying attention. They're not paying attention to what they tap to. They did a study and it was like, people couldn't actually recall what was the last post you liked. And it was like 30 seconds later. And they're like, I don't know. And they're learning that it's just like this Pavlovian type of response mm-hmm. to like, I've swiped for this long. So now I tap. But when somebody makes the effort to connect with you via DM, then you know, like, okay, shit, this is, this was helpful for that person. Um, But it sounds like they're all part of a puzzle, right? Like you've got your social analytics, your web analytics, your email analytics. Do you personally put more weight and value in one of them? Or do you feel that they're all equally important? No, I think I, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say that they're all equally important. I think it really depends on the question that you're asking. Mm. Um, And I kind of refer this to, to like, what is your source of truth? Like, if I'm trying to figure out what's going on on my website, I'm not going to use Instagram analytics. I'm not going to use email analytics. I'm going to go to Google analytics and I'm going to hang out there. Right. Um, there is going to be some kind of, there's going to be back and forth, right? Because ideally you're trying to convert people from your email newsletter over to your website or your social over to your website. So you, you kind of have to have this little, a little bit of a dance between them to see what's coming from one platform onto the other platform. But ultimately it's really going to be based on what you're trying to, to figure out and answer. Um, the other thing that I think is important to note too, with these data sources is that they're what I'm going to call imperfect data sources. Um, so they're, they're directional, but they're not 100% accurate. And it's really a product of like how they're collected. Um, web analytics, you could be missing a tag, a page tag could not fire, and then that user behavior isn't tracked. Um, a lot of times it's cookie based. So if somebody clears their cookies, like they can look like a brand new user, but really they've uh, been back to your website 60 right. times. Um, they could have tracking turned off. They could be using like a private or an incognito browser, um, or the metric could be sampled or estimated which we see um, with some of the Instagram analytic metrics, like I think reach is one that is sampled. It's not actually based off of your, your pure reach. Um, Interesting. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the fine print when you click on gonna, the, <laughs> yeah, it's in the fine print, probably the like the, the time zone thing. Did you, have you seen the time zone bit where yeah. I was like, Hold up. I was like, this is a big deal. You're telling me that, Mike, because that gives you the graph of like the times that your users are on and posting with that time. And then saw this tiny little thing. I was like, oh, by the way, these are Pacific Standard Time time zones. I was like, well, that is not me. That is like three hours different than where I am. So like these hide these little tiny caveats in there and don't really tell you. But that's interesting. So reach is not really technically a measured reach. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Good to know. This is another reason why you have to kind of detach from your social analytics a little bit. Yeah. And just, I mean, you got like these, these data sources are great to help you with your business, but you also kind of have to take them with a grain of salt, right? You, 
just because Instagram's giving you data or any platform's giving you data doesn't mean that it's 100% accurate or truly representative of like the yeah. holistic view of your business. Like you really I would have think to say, do I believe free. it? Too, yeah. right? I'm like, especially if it's like free data that you're getting, not saying that they're out to like scam you or something, but it's different if you're paying for a program or some sort of insights, they're going to make sure that they're giving you like the nitty gritty. That's super accurate, but right. Instagram's going to filter out and give you what, what they want to give you. Oh, but, definitely. So you're saying, yeah, they're not all equally appropriate to pay. Well, I guess they're not all equally weighted in appropriateness or importance. And it depends on really what it is that you're looking for and what you're trying to, to figure right. out. So we have touched on really about how like data is important for us to be able to assess like what we're doing in our business, what actions we're taking so that we're working, you know, smarter, not harder, not burning ourselves out, doing things that aren't really having um, a good ROI or ROE. You know, I say return on energy, um, but more from more or beyond just understanding what we're doing and what's happening right now. Like we can look at our data and say like, yeah, where are people coming from? How long are they staying on our website? Whatever, whatever. How can people and food content creators start to use data as a way, as almost like idea generation in their head, like ideas of what they could be doing next year in, you know, 2022 in terms of like marketing or lead generation or like business development. How can we use that information that we're getting on our website right now or email or whatever and use it proactively to grow our business? Yeah, I think it's, I think it focuses a lot around like staying curious about your data sets, um, about the data you're collecting and even about, you know, what you might be getting feedback on, um, like anecdotally. Um, for me, I'm thinking about this in terms of like, you know, I'm on this podcast now talking about data. Um, that was something that came about because I am passionate about this and I wanted to share it, but I also got a lot of good feedback when I was sharing it. So that's something that like, Hey, people might want to hear more about this. And as I'm thinking about creating content for the future, um, I'm thinking about incorporating more of that in there. And as, as, I'm, as I'm incorporating it, I'm also going to be looking at the engagement, what type of, um, you know, maybe conversions or traffic it might lead to for like blog posts and things like that. So looking at what you're putting out there now and really trying to figure out like, can you um, identify what people are really interested in and then putting it out in new ways in different ways um, and testing it really just constantly testing it and coming at it from um, a really curious place. Um, I think too, when we think about like proactive marketing or lead generation, like you know, you kind of touched on looking at, you know, where clients are coming from and things like that. Um, I think we can think about it as using the data that we've been collected to also inform what our marketing strategies might be in the future. So right now we're kind of, everyone's in the middle of like 2022 goal planning, right? And we're trying to figure out what we're doing. And I think a good place to start is thinking about like, okay, well, what did you do the past year? And looking at what your data tells you about what you've done. Um, so if you're one of those people who spent like 80% of your time on Instagram in the past year, and then you look at your Instagram analytics and your engagement isn't great, and you go to Google analytics and maybe you have like 10% of your traffic is coming from Instagram. Well, you're putting 80% of your time into Instagram and you're not getting a very good return. Mm -hmm. Is that a good use of your time? Should you continue to focus on that channel in 2022? Or is there another area where maybe you're not spending as much time, but the return in the past year has been much bigger and you can put more effort into that channel? Absolutely. If you do, do you know the book Essentialism? Have you heard of that book? I think so. I haven't read it. It's, he talks about, his name is Greg. I want to say it's McEwen, McCowan, uh, Greg, Greg something, Greg, Greg M we'll call him. <laughs> I think it's McEwen. Um, but he talks about understanding your vital few and it's mm -hmm. this concept of what 
action that you can take in like the smallest amount has the biggest impact. And it's that same concept that you're speaking to where if Instagram is taking up 80% of your time and probably 95% of your energy, but you're only getting a little piece of the pie when it comes back to you, it's time to really look at what you're doing and make better or different decisions for the new year. Because if you can like replace that, okay, Instagram, let's say I'm going to be generous here and say you're only on it for an hour a day, but I guarantee you it's more (laughs) if you go and look at that little data thing in your iPhone, your screen time. If you go to that screen time analytic thing and it tells you how much you're on Instagram, but let's pretend you're doing it for an hour a day and you're getting nothing from it. Like not nothing, but like such a small return on your investment and return on your time. But you find something else that takes 20 minutes a day and has like quadruple the impact. Mm -hmm. Like no brainer. Wouldn't you rather have 40 extra minutes a day? You could read a book. You could make you could do so many cupcake. things. <laughs> like <laughs> you could have a nap. Like there's so many things you could do with your time. And I think it's about finding those, like you're saying, those vital few, those things that are actually having an impact. Right. I see this. Um, and I was talking on my podcast episode last week, and actually on Instagram today. Um, I was talking about how people are so burnt out at this time of year, and often the burnout comes from. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, it's called like the sunk cost fallacy mm-hmm. sunk, where people are like, Oh, I've put in all this energy and all this time. And people, it's basically about people continuing to do efforts because they feel like they're valuable when they're not right. actually valuable, where I feel like a way to kind of like kick yourself in the ass and actually probably see things for what they are is to have a better relationship with data and understanding, right. And being able to be like, okay, that's actually not as valuable as I think it is. Yeah. And even just taking a step back and like really I, I kind of think of it as like um, removing the emotions from your business. Like it's really hard. A lot of us are creating, um, we're in the creative field where we're like, you know, this is our baby. I created this. And it's <laughs> especially when it's because it's art, right? Like food right. and cooking and creativity and like photography, writing, all of that. Those were people, these type of people were artists at the core. So there is this emotional attachment to what you create and produce. Right. And I think it can cause this, for lack of a better word, clusterfuck in your mind. Oh, definitely. It's a, it's a huge stepping <laughs> and needing to step back and have some like objectivity, like you're saying. Right. And, and looking at it from an objective standpoint and saying, you know, am I really, am I really speaking to my ideal client? Do I know who my ideal client is? Like, I, I think you know, you had a podcast episode that I was listening to about, I think it was content red flags on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And like, are you just putting up a picture and saying, Hey, this is delicious. Like, yeah, you know, we, <laughs> we need to, we need to do a little bit more yeah. than that. And like, yeah, sometimes your, your analytics, they're not really going to, they're not going to slap you in the face with information. Like they're just not, you have to, you have to really, you have to dig, you have to think about um, what you're looking at. I will say, I think analytics in general is just common sense. Like there's nothing crazy hard about it. Um, but, you know, you want to build like a trend. And one of the things that I'm doing right now is I've noticed like with my own Instagram account is one, I don't care about likes. I'm looking at saves um, and I look at shares because those take a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. And I'm also digging in to see, you know, the content that does get more engagement, are there patterns between the posts that have higher engagement rates? Like, is it a type of photo? Is it a type of caption? Is it the hashtags? Like, that's stuff that can really help you hone in your your messaging and what you're sharing. Um, way more than just being like, hey, this got a lot of likes, I should share I should it, do again. it again. Yeah, yeah like you need to you find can- trends. Well, that's just it. If you go by like, this got a like, a lot of likes, let me repeat it. You'll use your energy to repeat and make stuff that's like, you're never going to get the kickback that you're looking for. Right. And then your, your brain thinks you're really busy doing the thing that you need to be doing. And they're like, why is this not working? It's like, yeah. Well, because you're looking at the wrong thing. Um, right. And I think for people that are new to this concept of data and data analysis, like it can be overwhelming for people because there are terms and words that we don't, we may not be familiar with like bounce rate or anything. They're like, what does that mean? Um, so it can be overwhelming. And that, like I said earlier at the beginning of the episode was that 
we, our brains are wired to avoid stuff that can be a struggle or that is going Mm -hmm. to cause us to burn more energy. We want to conserve energy as human beings. We don't want to use up our brain power, but how can we, I guess like the question is what can somebody do to make this less overwhelming and start to understand it? Where could they start to, if they wanted to just get started? Yeah, I think, I think before they even like get started, I think they should make sure that they're actually collecting data. Um, yeah, that is a good point because I will even like put my hand up. <laughs> like, I'm working with an SEO expert right now. And she was like, so there's the two Google things. What There's um, Google Analytics and the Google Search yeah, Console. Search or console. Mm-hmm. Didn't have Search Console set up on my website. And she was like, you need both. I was like, I had no idea. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> like, and even Google, Google Analytics, it wasn't linked. I had it and I thought it was linked to my, oh. like pulling data from my Squarespace and it was not. And she was like, this, you need to actually connect this. And I was like, oh, hot damn. I should connect yeah. that. Yeah. So, so I'll is- say like, there's no shame if you do, if you have not connected it, but that's a very good point is you have to be collecting data before you right. can do anything with it. Right. And it's not, none of this, any, the data sets we talked about today, they're not retroactive. You cannot go back and collect the data no. if you were not <laughs> collecting it originally. There's no time machine, it's, right? Yeah. It's just, it's gone. And like you said, there's no shame in not collecting it. Um, I think about this for like food photographers, because, you know, if I wasn't in data, if I didn't start with a food blog, I don't know that I would have Google Analytics on my portfolio. You don't really think about that Mm -hmm. as a food photographer, but it's really valuable to help you figure out who's coming and going. um, And if your, you know, messaging is, is effective. So definitely start by collecting the data, install Google Analytics on your websites, get business accounts on social media. and then I would say just start slowly familiarizing yourself with the different types of data that's available. Um, I have a really good resource that you can grab. Um, if you go to cleanplatestudio.com slash subscribe, you can get a download that will give you an overview of the different types of analytics we talked about today. And then it will also give you some tom- common metrics and the definitions. And honestly, just having an understanding of what's available and being able to, you know, know that a bounce rate is different than an exit rate. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a huge step in the right direction. And then I think thinking about, you know, as you're putting content out there, how you can be collecting data on it, like how you could be proactive about it Um, and not just, you know, hoping that things come in and you can use it later? Like, are there ways that you can really be tracking what you're putting out there um, in a meaningful way? And one of the examples I can give you is I recently did a print promotion, um, my first print promotion, and I sent it out in a bunch of different channels. Um, The main channel was print. I sent it out to like art directors, um, creative directors across agencies. Sorry to ask you of magazines, agencies, yeah, magazines, or like brands. Agencies, brands, yeah. Um, bunch of different different business, um, business and industries. And I also did like a social media campaign. I did an email campaign. And the uh, series had a dedicated web page that I built. And I wanted to see how people were getting to it. So I created, they're called UTM um, trackers. It stands for, I think it stands for urchin, urchin tracking model, module, urchin tracking model. It's not important. It doesn't matter what it stands for. It's yeah, basically it doesn't matter. like, it's basically when you see a URL, it's the, it's the string of parameters at the end of that URL. And it gives you more insight into how people are getting to a specific page. So I can actually break down like, who came from the print version if they scanned mm. a QR code I had on there? Who came from this specific email to this specific set of um, industry professionals that I sent on this day? Or who came from this link in my Instagram uh, stories? And that helps me figure out where people, where, where I'm able to communicate the best with people, where people are finding me. And who is actually interested enough to like click through into that content. So that's one of the ways that even if you're new to this, just start thinking of ways where you can be like really proactive in Mm -hmm. what you're 
you're putting out there so you can track it. Absolutely. Because I think, especially at the time of year that we're at right now, everybody's thinking like doing the end of year review, thinking about, Mm -hmm. like you said, what are the goals for next year? And I really believe that there's value in giving yourself some space and time to like educate yourself with these things that you need to know so that you understand them. So you don't feel like you're just jumping on like uh, a hamster wheel or like a really rapid treadmill that you're like, I got to keep up. I got to keep up. Like it's okay to slow down perhaps in your content creation for like a month or a couple weeks if you need to, to go and learn these things. Because I feel like when you learn these things, you're going to be able to put them into, um, into play and probably see better results, but feel a little less exhausted from what you're doing. Um, and I, I love, like you're saying, like it's, there's enough time. I'm thinking like it's December. It's a perfect time to like go and check and see, do you have Google analytics, Google search Mm -hmm. set up? If you don't get it linked, maybe like brain dump a few ideas. The print thing sounds really cool. Um, and just like start thinking about like, okay, what are you going to do in the next year? And I feel like it doesn't, it sounds like there's so much that you can do. And we're going to touch on this, like the next episode, we're talking more about, um, taking action with your de- your data, right? I realize right. I'm switching back between data and data this episode, but whatevs. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't using even both. noticed until you. Oh, like data, out. data. I use both. I just, I will never say schedule. I'll say schedule. <laughs> I'll never say schedule, even though I lived in England. Mm-hmm. Um, but next episode is like, we're going to talk about how to take action with data like this, right? And how to sort of keep it simple and put it into place. But I think it's important for people to remember, like you can just start small, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be like, I'm going to do all the things, but they could start with one small thing. And if someone was going to start with one small piece of like web data, what would you, where would you suggest people start? Like what's, if you could only look at one thing on your data, what would you look at? Would you look at like where people are coming from or would you look at how much time? That's a hard question, but it's a hard question. Pick one. I think it depends on I think it depends on who you are. So for me, my primary goal is to get more clients as a food photographer. I want to know where people are coming from. So I'm going to look at um, which channels are coming in from or it's called source slash medium. Basically, um, it's, it's basically a subset of different channels. If you are a food blogger, you you could start there or you could um, dig more into like your landing pages and figure out like what content um, is more engaging. Is there a specific page on your website or a recipe on your website where people spend more time on it, where they mm-hmm. have, um, there's a metric called, oh God, now I'm going to blank on the exact name. It's uh, pages per session. Mm-hmm. Um is there a specific recipe that has a higher number of pages per session, which means they're probably navigating to different parts of your website from that one recipe? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one way you can start from from a food blogger perspective to to figure out which content's resonating more with your audience. So I feel like I gave you multiple ways to start. That's but great. No, we're but that's say exactly one way it. But that's exactly it. So what I was going to say is a lot of my listeners and um, my clients are multi-passionate people, meaning like they're not just a food blogger or a food photographer. I have people that I have worked with or have been in contact with that are like, I'm a recipe developer. I'm also a nutritionist and I do nutritional mm. counseling and I do food photography. So they have these like little hubs within their right. website where I'm thinking from what you're saying, it would be very interesting to see like, well, what content or what part of your site is pulling pe- more people in right. and where, you know, what is having a better, I guess not a better like traction, but yeah, more like of a pull to get people on there because there are people that do multiple services, right? Mm-hmm. There's people that are bloggers and photographers or photographers who do have like, I have a colleague who is, she does like nutritional counseling, but also does branded photography work. So it would be interesting to see for her, well, where is like, what's um, Google find it? What's being found most on Google? Right, right. And you can even take it like when we're thinking about like how clients are finding, getting to our website. Um, if you're booking services, like I have a question on my contact form that says, how did you find me? And you can compare client responses to what you're seeing in Google Analytics. Like, Mm. are they similar? If all of my traffic is coming from 
Google, are all my clients booking me, finding me on Google? Or are they like all coming through like social media or some other channel? Like that could give you some insight as to maybe there's a breakdown in one of those channels Mm. um, that they're getting to your website, but they're not actually booking your services. It could also totally just be because that's um, something that you're, you're asking a real person how they found you. And maybe they originally found you via Google, but they saw your name again on Instagram today yeah. and realized, oh, hey, I need to yeah. contact you. So yeah. that's another. That's just it. Yeah. That's yeah. That's another like I think I said earlier, like take it with a grain of salt. Right. Like don't assume that everything you're getting out of your data is like gospel. You really Absolutely. have to to think about, hey, what's the story here? And is this is it relevant? Yeah. And that's one of the things I always do with uh, any inquiry. I ask them, like, where did you first find out about me. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, someone might've found you on Instagram or somebody, Oh, my friend shared a post on Instagram that was yours and blah, blah, blah. But then when they went to find me, they found me through a Google search. Like they typed in my name and then might right. show up differently than what is actually the truth. Um, so I feel like it's always important to get, give yourself those opportunities to collect that anecdotal information, like you said, right. right. Whether people are giving it to you proactively, or if you're setting a space or creating a space for them to give you that kind of feedback by asking them or putting it in your inquiry form for sure. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to ask. And honestly, I would rather have more data than not enough data because that's when you start to make some really crazy assumptions that just don't make sense. Like you're just mapping things all over the place and yeah. We don't want to do that. We want to make reasonable, <laughs> reasonable. Right. You don't want to make fear-based <laughs> decisions where our brain is filling in the gaps because I've talked about this before where human brains are story-making machines. Like we like to take, we, we need to have stories to be able to process mm-hmm. and understand things. So when we have bits of information, but there's gaps, our brain will work very hard to fill in a narrative in between them to make connections and make a story that makes sense. And mm-hmm. you could be we can create wonderful stories in our heads that are not always true. Right. So it's important to sort of be mindful of that as well. Right. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm looking so forward to next episode because we're going to talk about like what to do with this now that we've sort of done a, a look at like what is data, what's available to you, how to get started. Yeah. And we're going to look at like putting it into action. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to share, like some final words of wisdom or like a takeaway that you'd love people to just remember after listening to this? Yeah, I would say it's really good to approach data from a place of curiosity and not from fear or obligation. Um, I think sometimes we can think of like, oh, crap, I got to look at my data because I'm a business and everyone else is looking at their data and it's just something that we have to do. But that really doesn't open you up to all the possibilities um, and all of the the good insights that you can get out of it. So coming at it from a place of curiosity um, and also not like, don't let the data control you. Like it's just data. There's no emotion to it. It's not good or bad. It just, it just is. Um, And remember that it's not, it's not something that we're trying to drive. Um, We're really just trying to use it for insights and we're trying to see if there's a story there, but we're not trying to drive a certain result at the end of the day. I think that's super important to remember that it is just arming yourself with information so that you can reflect and make decisions, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be what's feeding your actions. No. 100%. Yeah. I love that. Um, so how can people find you? Cause I know people are going to listen to this and be like, I got to follow her. I got to hear all those <laughs> other tidbits. She's going to teach me things Yeah. because <laughs> uh, you do share really interesting information in your stories and in your posts as well. So how can people find you on the wonderful world of the web? <laughs> yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Nikki Cutchall. Um, and there's one K in Nikki. Um, I'll put it in the people, show notes too, for people. I'll put yeah, it in the That's so just, can find that's you. much easier. Um, so that's where you can find me on Instagram. Like you said, I share all, all sorts of different things on there. Um, if you're looking for more resources for like food photographers or even food bloggers, my blog is cleanplatestudio.com. And that's also where you can find the download about, um, data for food content creators. And then if you are interested in, um, booking services for a food or beverage brand, you need photography done you can check out my portfolio um, at NikkiCotchall.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. That uh, guide sounds amazing because I feel like after 
all this uh, stuff we've been talking about that having like a little reference guide of these key terms and things will really help people with that education piece that we were talking oh, yeah. about. Like how and you, you can, can just, how you can learn in a non-threatening, really chill right. way. You can have a little glass of wine. You can read it at the end of the day. <laughs> like, hey, if don't that's stress what you yourself do, out about it. <laughs> if you want to make wine and data analysis a thing, by all means. I mean, <laughs> I love it. That should be a hashtag. <laughs> I can't say that I haven't done it. So wine and data Wednesdays or something. Yeah, wine and data Wednesdays. We all get together and look at our data. I love it. I bet you there are people who are like, I'm in, sign me up. People will reach out and go, how do I join it? It's not a real thing yet. Yet. Yeah, Maybe but it, it could be. be. We don't know. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I'm so excited. We will talk to you again in uh, next week and we'll yeah. be doing another episode to follow up and all those details of where you can find Nikki will go in the show notes as well so that you can get in touch with her and continue to keep learning about all things data and your business in a way that is, like I said, non-threatening, very enjoyable, and just from a growth mindset. So thank you so much for being here, Nikki. I've really appreciated chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to next week. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something. And I really encourage you to check out the um, guide that Nikki was talking about because it is a really good supplement to everything that we talked about in this episode. And you can just have a little peruse of it at your leisure to help educate yourself on these things that we were talking about so that it's not overwhelming and it's not scary. And you are empowering yourself with information and education so that you can make sound decisions for your business. And one of the reasons that my get it done business planning framework that I have on sale right now has so many pages in it dedicated to data collection and analysis is so that it gives you a space to do things like write down your analytics, but get really, really specific. Um, if you have a look at the templates that are in there, you'll see it takes a really like a laser focus in that we're going to focus on one thing that then is related back to our monthly goal and our quarterly phase and our anchoring word for the entire year. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, if you're like, what the heck is she talking about? Go back to the episode about everything that you need to be doing in December. And it will talk to you about this essential reflection process that you need to do as a business owner so that you can put yourself in a position where you're not totally overwhelmed, you know, in December next year being like, holy shit, like I'm exhausted and I feel like I didn't achieve what I wanted to do. So check out that episode and I'll also put a link in the show notes to the Get It Done Interactive Business Planning Framework, which is on sale for the month of December. You can save $52. It is priced at $149 Canadian, but on sale right now for $97 Canadian. There is an exchange rate if you're American or Australian, European, British, whatever. It's cheaper because of the Canadian dollar is crap right now. So that works in your favor. But I encourage you to go check it out. This interactive planning framework is over 70 pages of journal prompts, brain dumps, planning frameworks, data collection sheets, and there's 14 coaching videos that are embedded throughout the guide to prime your brain and ask you the essential questions that you need so that you're in a space mentally and emotionally that you're going to be able to really dive into the processes that are in there. And it's like having a business coach in your back pocket, basically. These videos are paced throughout the year so that you access them at different points and you'll be able to understand the contents and implement the contents of this planning framework in a much more effective and complex level than you ever would with, say, a beautiful planner that you buy, you know, at a stationary shop. December is a month for entrepreneurs that is incredibly stressful because there is this pressure to f get everything done or to, you know, do one final push so that you finally get your goals. And that is a system or a mindset that really sets us up for exhaustion. And it doesn't have to be this way. You can really create a system for you that is, you know, enjoyable, easeful, has some flow to it and has you taking actions on a daily basis that are in line with like what Nikki was talking about, your data, the feedback you're getting, the anecdotal evidence, but also be in line with your overarching goal for the year and whatever you're working on in that phase. So have a look. Links in the show notes. Grab it, like I said, on sale until the end of December. Sorry, not like 
it's not going to go away, but it's on a price reduction. So it's on special till the end of December and it's evergreen. You can pick it up at any point of the year, start it whenever you do, but this is the perfect time to give yourself that gift of ease and flow and support yourself with the knowledge and systems that you're going to need for next year. We'll be back next week with a follow-up episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you do not miss that episode. You're definitely going to want to hear it as a supplement to what we've just been talking about. And like I said, these episodes in December are really great episodes to download and save because you can listen to them in sequence and support yourself as you work through this critical end of your review. And just also like celebrate the good things that you have done. All right, I will wrap it up with that because this has been a long episode and you've got things to do now that I'm sure the wheels are spinning with all things data. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brand Camp Podcast. If you found this episode insightful, inspiring, or interesting, I would really love your support. There are two key things you can do to support the growth of this podcast so that it reaches other food content creators. Number one is subscribe. Subscribing is totally free and it means you'll never miss an episode. And lastly, leave us a review. Five-star reviews and positive feedback really help with podcast rankings within the apps and it helps others find this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait to dive further into these topics with you. Again, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Hulley, and I'll talk to you soon.